this week on Ace on the House. Stained grade holocaurs, bad. Yeah, I don't think it's... That's rare. That's rare, rare like a like a form of cancer that kills nine-year-olds. Sad uh, rare. Should I just replace every door then? Well, well first off, let's talk like about 40 this. 40 bucks each, maybe. Let's talk about the so-called house you're living in. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Was that it was built in the early 90s. Yeah. Holocore. That's like special order. Yeah. Special ed order. That's basically like uh, you going, uh, hey man, I want to set you up with this gal. She's fat and doesn't give blowjobs. Like, I'm uh, in. Wow, win win. Check out an all new episode of Ace on the House this Saturday or visit aceonthehouse.com only on the Ace Broadcasting Network. Network. Okay, welcome, podcasters. As, as we usually do on our show, we start off on a jazz kind of retrospective, kind of a history in jazz. We're working our way up. Um, remember the original jazz, talking about maybe pre uh, Civil War, was really an outcry of the of the blacks and the being in the the church was the one place they can get some re, real release in. And um, so there's a lot of soul in jazz, and particularly the beginning of blues. The point is, strong, the soul and the heart was strong, but the head was quiet. Um, so it took a while before jazz could be uh, kind of infiltrated with higher kinds of harmony. And the beginning of that, we were calling European harmony, with the great European composers that already have been, um, music have been played all over the world, Bach and Beethoven and Mahler and so forth, uh, Debussy. So all that, all that group. Um, now, two very important sources came into jazz about the 1930s. One was Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart. Lorenz Hart did the lyrics. Richard Rogers did the music. In other words, the American Broadway scene began to open up for jazz. And jazz heard it and began to put it in the jazz repertory. So the first one is Lady is a Tramp, and that's the team of Rogers and Hart. To Life Lessons with Jim Carolla and Ray Oldhofer.
Okay, welcome podcasters. Um, here we go again. <laughs> um, that sounds inspiring. <laughs> going around and around and around, trying to um, um, get to the aim of the series, which is to take a deep look at ourselves. We can't do anything unless we start right from the bottom. Like you need to understand the context that things are being played in, otherwise they they won't um, they won't make sense. Um, from the point of view of a of a great of um, of a, of great traditions of the past, um, that's brought us some important information, an eight a um, great underground stream of ideas and practices from hundreds and decades of years ago, uh, re repeatedly um, passed down from generation to generation, uh, and we're going to take a look at that. So one thing I'd say if they wanted to give us a message would be to softly repeat in different languages and different forms their message to humanity might be just stop. Just stop for a minute. Rather than just being caught in just business as usual, just stop. Learn to look at ourselves. Learn to um, remember the high reality of your birthright. That this birth and not just being grounded out and, and um, live half asleep and die and never really utilize the potential in our lives. That we ignore <coughs> and, um, and don't recognize the false part of ourselves, of our conditioning. So that condition, <coughs> conditioned eye is kind of in the spotlight here. And as we go to different traditions, we did a lot with Buddhism and mindfulness and Zen and mem meditation and so on, though that, all that stuff could be repeated. But we've uh, we moved on to uh, St. Paul and Christianity and his use of flesh and spirit. So that's kind of what we're on now. Just a brief note on St. Paul, who was a kind of a... Um, um, intelligent Jew that um, held the positions in the court. Do you think he was the first intelligent Jew? Because there's been many, many to follow. Yes. Many, many before him and after him. But he had some influence in the, in the, in the, in the temple and the politics of the temple. And um, he made a crusade about bringing the converted Jews to Christianity, which wasn't call Christianity then, and um, to bring them back to Judaism. And he did that. It uh, was very successful. He went out with a group of other men, and they chained the Christians that were once Jews and, and brought them back to the temple. That was, the, that was his, probably his main effort in his life was that. Until on the road to Damascus, he had a spiritual experience, and he became blind. And the symbolism is always important. Anything said in scriptures means something. 
um, he was blind. And um, he was told to go into, forget the name of the town, close by and, and talk to a certain person and begin to uh, open his eyes and see and awake. And he went through all of that. And then he was a tremendous worker in the beginning of Christianity, set up all those Mediterranean churches and so on, a tremendous worker out, out to sea a lot, going from port to port. In those days, was quite something, and ended up in prison, had that kind of life. And I think he died in Rome. Um, this is not clear to me whether he was beheaded in Rome or came out of the catacombs, but he was eventually... Um, he died for what he really believed in. Wait, and, well, he, uh, he was murdered? I mean, he was beheaded, is what you're saying? The, the, uh, it's not the audience. If you know different, let me know. Um, I didn't look that up. But he didn't die a natural death. He died in a prison. So um, if he was beheaded or they were, in those days they would send you out to the lions and uh, crucified something. Uh, uh, killed upside down. That all, but and, not a natural death. You're oh, saying oh, no. he didn't live to be the ripe old age oh, of no. you know fifty. Oh no, none of the beginners did. None of the martyr. All the beginning people that ever got into making the change from awakening until sleep to wake, they were mostly martyrs and killed. Um, okay, so we're kind of uh, we use this idea of flesh and just. For flesh, we're just going to make it real brief. I've talked about it before. It was um, is being the conditioned eye. The eye from birth, born in a certain culture, a certain family, treated a certain way, and it grows up, and then psychologically we're going to call it the false self. That eye had miscarriages, went the wrong directions, lost the trust in itself, all kinds of different developmental difficulties, and end up being let's say, the false self. And then we get into the spirit, which I really haven't ready, I'm not ready, but I'll make sure we're on a little firmer ground. The spirit is going to be the true self, something that did grow up in a little better way, maybe had a better home life um, and was in touch with its, um, its trust and its main compass of its life. And we want to call that the true, the true self. Okay, so um, now let me now let me again backtrack a little bit. Um, let me give you the names of some of the people that I, I, I have researched and and uh, I've gone to these people for um, understanding the different traditions and so on. One is Richard Rohr, Rohr, R O H R, German. Franciscan monk, a real intellectual in the Catholic Church. Um, he would be a good representative. Um, Jacob Nadelheim, who um, was a philosopher at um, San Francisco State, getting the philosophical things and other areas, occult areas, is a very important guy. Um, he's now retired. I had the uh, honor of seeing him and talking to him and attend some of his... I went to San Francisco and attended 
some of his seminars. Jacob Nadelman's written many things. Um, he was a good writer. Uh, he was head of the Gurdjieff work in San Francisco. Uh, so he'd be a, another. Um, Freud in Western psychology, psychoanalytical psychology, beyond, B-I-O-N in English, um, an English psychoanalyst. I think he's still alive. I'm not sure. Uh, they, they would be very old if they were, or were alive. Came, um, um, what about Richard Rohr? Is he alive? Yeah, he's, he's alive. He would be about my age now. Yeah, he's, he's a missionary and he's all over the world. Um, uh, lecturing. Wait, that's no. Okay, that's not Ron. Who? Ron. Ron. Ron Austin. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but Ron Austin's also could come in that category. Um, so this, um, and of course, uh, who else? I bought it for more of them, but um, Michelle de Saltzman and Madame de Saltzman from the Gurdjieff work. Um, Michelle de Saltzman being a famous uh, psychoanal psychoanalyst from France. I also had the honor to have uh, spoken with him. Um, he died about five or six years ago. Uh, he lectured all over the world, too. So in facing life, I am driven by the force of my ordinary eye. This is kind of what, what, what he would be saying. Where, um, whose very possibility of existing depends on the world that surrounds us. So we're born with this ordinary eye, it's conditioned, and then we have whatever our environment and the world is around us. This eye has a deep fear of being nothing and is afraid of not having security. So it has a lot of fear and insecurity in it. Um, and it's very power-driven to compensate for all of this. Possessions is one of its main things. So possessions, power, its, um, it's um, image is important. It is this thin-skinned and easily wounded, always and eager to be recognized, easily, di easily discouraged, rebellion against others, full of self-pity. So I'm, I'm describing Paul's flesh self using or coming from other people. There's almost a constant fear, not a particularly, but a general, maybe doesn't even know what it's afraid of, but a, a kind of lingering fear of being insecure or incapable, of being found out also, or other kinds of vulnerabilities, very afraid of vulnerabilities. That's why in relationship, um, there's a lot of difficulty and pain. And there's always the, always the, um, oh, what, what, what do I want to say, always what? Um, oh, I just can't, the word, I always think of it there, but now I don't. Uh, so constant fear, insecure, incapable, wants to obtain, wants to change, and wants to become, but it wants to become in its own um, 
I, it's false self. It doesn't have a picture of what the true self is. So it goes all to get the accolades from the world, um, but coming from a false self or Paul's flesh. My usual emotional state is negative in that group. Always reacting to people and events for my selfish, uh, ego-centered point of view. What pleases me or displeases me? What I like or do not like? There's a perpetual closing. It closes its heart. It hardens its heart. Imprisoned in the ego that cries, um, uh, cries out for help. But the help is for the relieving of the pain of this false self and all its, um, its difficulties. Remember, it doesn't have a picture yet of anything, anything else. At the same time, there is a need, um, and it needs love, so it has to negotiate love, but it has trouble with that. So, that would be... That sounds like a lot of fun, Jim. <laughs> all right. Um, but, I mean, that's what we... What you just described is what most perpetually living. Yeah, mostly ordinary life. The accepted life. The false self is more the accepted life. Uh, the true self is will take work to get to. If I wish to know what is, I have to realize that neither words nor feelings that accompany them is the real perception of reality. In other words, this part of ourselves is stuck in an unreality and it's drumming up things to try to paint itself. The word is not the fact. The feelings are, is not the fact. So even though the way the language is used and things called absolute facts could be questioned, there are both the reactions um, of my conditioning to impressions, to everything that impresses me, comes inside me. But the way of the ego, okay, now, the flesh, self, and the ego are really synonymous, so it's another way to say it. Um, let me say a little bit about the ego, too. The ego main avenue is splitting. Splitting and non-recognizing. So it splits, it keeps a certain reality away. If the reality has something worth showing its falseness, it will do what it can ever. It can do what it can do to, to to say no to it and split it off and blame it on other people. Or That's, ignores it. Or ignores it. So splitting is one of the major defenses and non recognizing of the ego and the and the uh, psychological properties that go along with ego. Um, for example, two big ones, domination and control. They gotta stay on top of it. So they will tend to control people. And they will use intellectualism and rationalization as a defense. A sharp distinction drawn between the self and the world um, Another main one is self-aggrandizement. It comes from a weakness in itself. 
but it covers it from self-aggrandizement. We're all derivatives of splitting. Also, the um, the I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. That's another part of it. Right. Or well, you, that that ignoring thing, or that you know, you say that. Oh, well, I didn't. I didn't even know that. When you did. Mm-hmm. If, well, you're, if you're going to take a beat or two, you really did know. Yeah, it can go either way. There's different levels of it. Some people they're really in denial about it, and will hold it to the very end. Will never be able to forgive or open up its heart. That and then and there's less some that are less than that. Um, so, of course, a kind of word in the ego comes called egotistical. We all hear that. We hear people saying he's egotistical. Um, oh, so our self formation—that's the denying part. That egotistical, uh, uh, the egotist, egotistical part looks like it's it's proud. It acts proud of itself, but it's only because it's it's uh, finding ways to avoid the uh, the false self and the pain of that. So the ego self is prone to an endless proliferation of splits and attention, splitting off of the ego. Before Freud died. He really got into the splitting of the ego as a mode of psychological defense. As I remember, if I remember my old days right, that's a major thing he found out in all the studies he did in neurology and um, beginning psychology, that uh, the splitting of the ego is a mode of psychological defense, one of the major ones we have. Well, that's why you say, like, most will take it to their grave. I mean, if you're not on to it. Mm-hmm. But you could see the how many different levels that could go. My God. Yeah. And that splitting, see, it's an interesting thing. Because splitting could have us be one way at one time and then another way at another time. But they're kind of hand in hand. Yeah. Well, for example, a person could be a certain way with his family, you know, even be good in the family setting, um, but then um, do very divisive things in the world. Um, you see what I mean? They can do, it could be one way, one thing, and that coming home, wear a different face. Be nice with the children. Yeah, it's like Bernie Madoff's wife didn't know he was pilfering funds. Like, really? <laughs> mm. Yeah, whatever that. I don't know what the truth of that is, but um, yeah, that's... he's the guy who's in jail now for swindling all those people. Oh yeah, I know him. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. The truth that. is, she's still a millionaire and living in Florida. So mm. you do the math. And um, then we were talking about math. Okay. Yeah. So one could adopt a, a mask for one level of something and at the next level of something um, be totally do something. When, there, when, when, when a, um, Hitler and the group, the staff, the military staff and his group of advisors sat down to think about how do we exterminate six million Jews? They 
spoken languages, erudite, clear, um, phoned their wives at lunchtime and see how the kids were. Um, now, I want you to take care, bring, make sure you bring the dog to the vet, and uh, make sure all that's fine before we leave on our speaking tour. And then go back to that table and talk about how to kill six million Jews. Now, that's um, you know, an extreme example, but we do things like that, not at that level, of course, but that's a, an extreme example of a split. When they got back to that table, there was no guilt. There was nothing. Six million. Do you mean women and children? And you're going to shoot them? No, no, shoot them. That's not enough. We tried that. We've killed a lot of them. Shoot them. It's just not fast enough. We thought we'd have a certain kind of gas. And then they asked the gas expert to speak, who was a nice guy, well-educated, and um, had a home with three or four children and um, considered a very pleasant person to be with. But at the meeting, he explained how to gas to kill the children. Now, that's an eye-opener about the splitting. About the splitting. Look how powerful it is. Now, you could do that at different levels. And we do. But you kind of do it throughout your day, I mean, if you're going to really look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and through our, throughout our day too. Hey, Jim. Speaking of throughout our day, let's um, let's um, go to Amazon, huh? Okay. Hey, you guys. This is Ray with Life Lessons with Jim Carolla, and this is a plea because business is business, and our business isn't doing so well. So please help us out. You got that? And I'm not kidding. Help us out. So go to Life Lessons website and click through the Amazon banner and help us. Come on. Now, that's a plea, and it's a good one. Do so. Thanks. Have you ever wanted to send anybody a personalized gift, like a mug with your face on it? Something along those lines? Or initialed with their initials, maybe? You know what you got to do? Check out personalcreations.com. They're the experts in personalizing and have tons of great gift ideas for friends and family of all ages. They have tons of incredible products for home decor, keepsakes, jewelry, apparel. Everything can be personalized. Everything and anything. You can put your mug, their mug, whoever's mug you want on it. Plus, personalcreations.com is giving our listeners 20% off the entire order. Hurry, this amazing offer won't last too long, so get on it. Plus, personalcreations.com is giving 20% off to our listeners. And we're grateful, and you should be too. So hurry up. This is an amazing offer, and it's not going to last long. Here's how you get 20% off your entire order. Go to personalcreations.com. That's personalcreations.com. Click on the star and type in LESSON. Don't wait. Order now, man. Help us out. Thanks. Hey, Jim, you know we're on PayPal? Yay! You know what they do? No. They pay us. Well, actually, you have to contribute to them for us so we can stay on the air. I'm going to send in some money myself. All right. I, you know what? If you are, I am. Why not? <laughs> so you can just go to acejimcarolla.com and click on the PayPal button and uh, send us some love. And we thank you to everyone who has. Jim, we're gonna, we pay to do this show. I like that. It's good. Yeah. It's kind of like what you're talking about, too. You've got to pay to do, go through this work. All right. Okay.
So, um, so splitting of the ego is the major defensive system. And then the ego lacks any kind of spirituality. It, it's usually, you know, it's, it's very taken up with, with its, um, its way to survive at that level. It would take quite something because the, the ego would have to start to die. The but, but the ego gains that, that like information about spirituality mm -hmm. and then manipulates and uses it. Definitely. Do. Ah, I'm guilty. 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 Well, yeah. We all, we all are. So we, I think now we're a little more, well, I went through a further explanation of Paul's uh, flesh as, um, as the false self of psychology. The, the false self is quite um, cunning. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the false self has a ton of energy. Mm -hmm. the yeah, that, getting through false self is, is in itself, you know, that's, that's, that's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. And then in here, so here we're, we're just trying to, as we go, remember it's an integral approach. We're going to different different kinds of disciplines, different kinds of traditions, and wisdom, schools, and so on. And we borrow from them and try to come up to see where they... See, because, for example, Freud and Paul do have a connection, though they're certainly miles away in other things. Um, Freud was an atheist. I mean, he wasn't a... Uh, he wasn't a... Uh, consider him a on any kind of spiritual journey. He was mainly working with the brains and words and emotions and, and the relationships. But he was awake. Well, he, I mean, he, he was, was on to all this. Um, but, but, but on a different level. Yeah, he was on to, say, some of the pathologies of what we're talking about, but he would call it uh, all to do with... Um, um, uh, to do with behavior and learning and brain formation and brain lobes and um, it's more technical than Paul. Yeah, uh, yeah. Paul, remember Paul lived, you know, centuries earlier, and didn't have any of this language to use. But by the time Freud came, our genius, really a genius, that he one of the first to really plunge into this material, particularly about how uh, about in development and what was wrong in development. And Eric Erickson, Eric Erickson's another name I forgot to mention, was a developmental psychoanalyst. Um, you know, they, by the time these fellows got up to it in the 19th century, they already had some beginning ground to work with, but they also then invented things. And where Paul didn't have any of this language to talk about this at all, being back, you know, two, three thousand years ago. What would you say your, um, uh, uh, what was your crossroads onto this? You know, mine was with you, and it just kept going on a loop where, you know, false self, false self, false self. And then I think I was seeing you about nine months, ten months, and then I go, oh, now I understand what he's saying. But mm -hmm. it was on, it was more or less not the same thing, but you could see the pattern of it. You know, and then all of a sudden it got to a different level, and then it just continues. You know, and then I, I, it's not like I bought into it or anything like that, but you saw a much deeper truth that was available. You know, that 
before your words or your whatever your false self was would definitely get in the way. But what was your crossroads with this kind of thing? Um, see, let's see how to cross. Well, um, entering therapy in my early 20s somewhere, that was the beginning of some foundation of um, body-mind connection. My therapy was a Reichian therapy with Dr. Herskowitz, uh, who's still living in Philadelphia. He's 93 years old. It's a wonderful, and I hear still practicing. Unbelievable. Um, um, but not that he was inter- he was not interested in spirituality at all. He was, but he was interested in truth and body and body expression. So that would be the first person I'd say, help me to see, wake me up to the uh, the connection of uh, how body mind interact and the and how illness is in the body, how illness meshes its way into the muscle muscles and tissues of the body and uh, and and begins to get the arm rings in the stomach and chest and throat that really begins to um, block us from ever being free. So I would say he'd be the first one that um, um he would be first in steps or many steps, and I'll, as we go along, I'll add steps along the way of important people I met that uh, helped me to begin to see myself in a little deeper way. Um, so let's see. Okay, we have just a few minutes left. Okay, so podcasters, we're now working in the area of... Um, Touching a little bit of Christianity, but but Paul could have thrown a hand grenade right in the middle of Christianity. I mean, the things he came up with. Um, he's a he was quite a man that that um, really had a certain important knowledge uh, that eventually uh, in the in the the New Testament on gospel particularly Romans, um, chapters in Romans was beginning of, um, really beginning to talk about flesh and, and, and spirit. Um, so for, so we're, um, well, we haven't touched on spirit yet enough, but I, I needed to get this grounding information. I needed to let us know the power of uh, of the ego, and Freud's work on it, calling it the, um, pointing out as major defensive mechanism of splitting, and um, and diverting and non-recognition, and living in parts of ourselves that could be quite separate, just take on a different role. When we know in ourselves where we could be a certain way. And people might think we're a nice guy and polite. And then there's another way where we were really quite different and angry and hostile and um, treat other people meanly. So we have these cut-off parts of ourselves that we slip in and out of. And Freud's great insight before he died was seeing the modes of splitting and what it does to us. 
Um, okay, so I mentioned today the people were influenced, uh, and we spoke about um, uh, the philosopher in San Francisco, Nadelman, being very important, Richard Rohr. But you hung out with a few of these guys. You hung out yeah. with Nadelman and you hung out with Rohr, right? No, no, I didn't hang out with Rohr. I, I, I heard him. Um, no, I didn't hang out with him. Uh, he has his book. I've read him. I got three, three of his books. Uh, and I didn't hang out with um, Ed Nadelman, but I did attend the conference and we, when we talked. And Michelle, I, I got to see the end of his life. De Saltzman? Uh, De Saltzman. Madame De Saltzman I never met, and she's unbelievable. Of all of them, she's one of the most insightful. Is that a husband and wife, or is that a daughter son. and son? Yeah, daughter and sons. Gurdjieff and the, and the Saltzman, madam, became a couple later in years. I'm not sure when. And Michael's, I think, the only child I ever had. Uh, my, Michelle de Saltzman, the French analyst, uh, was born. So we had Gurdjieff for a father. He had this wonderful analytical training. And he himself was quite something to be with in person. Okay, so we'll stop with that, and next week I hope to get in, really get into the many forces of spirit. Okay, thanks for tuning in. Now let's hear from you. Um, we got um, anybody to hear you, from, Gary? You can email us at Life Lessons, I'm sorry, at Jim Carolla at AdamCarolla.com, or you can uh, Facebook us at, at Facebook.com slash LLWJC. And uh, we actually do have one email here. If you'll hold on just one second. Startled and scared with my heart racing after this one. I can't remember many specifics of the second one, but I always have a single loose tooth. And when it falls out, the rest of my teeth start disappearing. Some of them falling out, the rest just suddenly gone as if they were never there. I enjoy the show tremendously. Thanks for all I've learned. Hope there are many more to come. All the best, Ivy. Okay, you know, another thing... Um, Ivy, um, a good way to handle what you're talking about might be from somebody getting a little of a dialogue with you. Um, and I was talking to Gary about um, the uh, phone-in um, possibilities. Uh, we could have a segment of the program where I could, Ray and I could, and Gary could speak to you um, uh, online, you know, as you call in. What are you thinking, Gary? That's definitely possible. So watch uh, the Life Lessons Facebook and Twitter for details. It will likely be uh, Wednesday, the... (laughs) 21st of March at uh, approximately 10 a.m. Pacific time. So uh, watch the Life Lessons Facebook and Twitter for that information. And uh, we'll send you all the pertinent details. Okay, so um, I don't mean to dodge your question, but um, your your dream has a lot to it. Uh, I think by talking in person and exploring it with us, um, uh, you might get more out of it that way. We could also open the show next week with um, some a little explanation from you, you know, if you want to give one or not. I'd, I'd, um, I'd rather him, Her. rather having a little dialogue with him. Oh, I'm sorry, it's her. Uh, with her, I've got to have a... I, I'm not sure if it's a male or a female, so Ivy, 
whichever one of us was wrong, we're sorry. All right. Okay, so thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Bye. All right, so we just tasted uh, Richard Rogers' wonderful melodies, good, more sophisticated chord progressions. And now we're going to do Biding My Time, and that's the Gershwin brothers, George Gershwin and Ira Gershwin, who really got into it. He studied, he went to France and studied um, uh, what's that great, um, uh, I can't think of it, Madame de Pogeon. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm not saying her name right. Uh, but she was a great orchestrationist. Everybody studied with her, and Gershwin did also. Um, so anyway, now here's the second group, the Gershwin Brothers. Reach the show on Twitter at LLWJC or email us at jimcarolla at adamcarolla.com.
You're listening to the Ace Broadcasting Network.